on this episode of Autographs. So with those two things said, I want to point out that generosity is not about free. And generosity doesn't necessarily mean giving something away. Generosity usually involves emotional labor, putting effort into something that will benefit others more than it will benefit you in the short run. Hello there, folks. My name is Nick Singh, and this is Autographs. And honestly, my whole life has just been painted with this understanding of how I can just be myself. And these conversations and moments are just ways that, oddly enough, I found myself within. So I hope that they can afford for you the same benefit as they have me. And <laughs> we're in this together is what I'm trying to say. So anyways, enjoy your life. Welcome to Autographs, and I hope this helps. Peace. My name is CEO Charlie. You have to understand yourself. Like, if you give purely, you get. I feel like if the universe is going to give me all this luck, that I'm obliged to live the best life I can possibly live. Go into yourself and listening to yourself, and you get very good at honing your own intuition. Enjoy. Good morning. How are you? Great, thanks. Thanks for yeah. taking the time. Thank you for taking the time, actually. I have a, uh, I have a professional camera set up here, but um, I don't want to waste any time. For now, the webcam is going to be okay for this one. Let's ship. Let's ship and practice of Seth Godin here. Um, but yeah, morning's been okay, man. I, I, I saw that you were on Behind the Brand. Uh, you guys had an awesome conversation there. Yeah, I've known him for a good long time. He's a good guy. He's a great dude. I love his podcast. I love his podcast. Well, um, Seth, really happy to have you here. Um, thank you for making the time. And I've admired your work for years. I fell in love with your work through your blog. Um, not your books, actually, uh, which is a funny place to find you. And um, I'm just really grateful to be on the call. So thanks for being here. Rock and roll. Tell me what you want to talk about. All right. Well, uh, first on the agenda is circulating around the internet right now is that Seth Godin is officially casting his ballots for Kanye. And I'd, <laughs> I'm completely messing with you there, Seth. I had to start it off with a joke to, uh, to break the ice. Um, but anyways, I appreciate you sending me an advanced copy of the book. Um, I've been reading it, re-listening to a lot of podcasts that you've been on. And I have my little question sheet here. Um, and the first thing I wanted to talk about was actually... In the nature of the book, the practice, um, for me, it really felt around finding the confidence to ship your creative work. And my first question for you actually isn't necessarily about shipping the creative work. It's actually about how you view yourself. I'm curious, Seth, when you wake up, do you view yourself as I'm Seth Godin, the author, the entrepreneur, the philosopher? How do you see yourself? Oh, I don't think I've ever thought of myself as any of those things when I wake up. Uh, I want to just put a pin in your point about confidence. The, the practice is not a book about confidence. I think confidence is a bit of a trap because if we try to seek out confidence, we're trying to seek out reassurance um, because confidence is a belief that it's going to work. And I don't think we create useful art that way. And that goes to the answer to your second part of your question, which is, if I needed to persuade myself that everything I was going to do is going to work because I'm quote the Seth Godin, then I would be concealing uh, 
where the truth lies, which is that I have 10 fingers like most people. And what I type is what I type. And maybe it's going to work and maybe it won't. 7,500 blog posts later, half of them are below average. It's hard to tell. <laughs> well, um, I agree with that sentiment. Um, that's a much better way to put it. So thank you for clearing that up. Um, going back to the question, though, how do you view yourself then if you don't view yourself as those things? Um, every morning I feel like I am lucky and privileged and have one more chance to do something that uh, I'm proud of that would make a difference. And uh, anytime I feel entitled, I'm off to a bad start. Gotcha. So I love that about you, that you approach your work with such generosity, which is where I raise this question. Um, I, I, I once had Gary Vee on the show and I mentioned to him the nature of giving uh, seems like an interesting one. And he came back to me with an interesting response. I'd be curious to know what you say. In my experience with people and with myself, my generosity for others opens up when I feel like my issues, so to speak, for lack of a better way to put it, have been looked after. When I naturally feel that I'm looked after, I feel very open to giving. But if I don't feel I'm looked after, I find it difficult to give. I'm curious how you sustain such consistent generosity in your life. And if you do take time to quote unquote, fill up, um, during that all and, and, and how you do. So first question is how you sustain that generosity. And second question is how Seth Godin fills up. So, you know, on the airplanes back when I used to fly, uh, they make that announcement that you should put on your own oxygen mask before helping the people around you. And that metaphor can take you straight down the road of Ayn Rand and objectivism and, uh, you know, if I'm not completely taken care of, I got nothing for other people. One of the nonprofits I work with, uh, when the uh, credit default swap crisis hit, uh, whatever that was 12 years ago, found that people who had pledged half a million bucks, who were worth $100 million, who then lost $10 million in the stock market, stopped their donation. Because at $90 million, they didn't feel rich enough to make a donation, whereas at $100 million, they did. And the absurdity of that, just as you say it, is pretty clear, right? So with those two things said, I want to point out that generosity is not about free. And generosity doesn't necessarily mean giving something away. Generosity usually involves emotional labor, putting effort into something that will benefit others more than it will benefit you in the short run. And that's a habit. You know, I think it, in the age of the caveman, if you were a marathon runner for fun, running 20 miles just because you could, your neighbors would think you were an idiot because you needed to save your f fuel for if a lion came after you or whatever. And um, the same thing could be said now, which is how dare you put in any energy into helping other people because, uh, you need to save it for yourself. But marathon runners run marathons because it's good for them too. And so the act of saying, where is there a light I can turn on? How can I expend emotional labor? That is in, in and of itself is enough. It's a lot. It's a privilege. It's a delight. 
And we don't have to do it by giving away everything we own, but we do have to do it by expending emotional energy to lend a hand. That was one of the most profound answers I've ever heard. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, is that coffee? No, I wish I drank coffee. I, I don't. know. I was going to see if something happened with your stuff. It, it doesn't agree with me. This is the uh, a mug from the Apinicon, which is the lovely uh, hotel in uh, Rideau, Ontario, near Ottawa. Wow. That's lovely. I, I'm from Toronto, I know. Canada. Yeah. I know. And I'm and, from Algonquin Park, so not that far away. Wow. I somehow in my research, I forgot about that. I heard you mention that on, on, on the Tim Ferriss show. My friends are going camping this week in Algonquin. Weird bunch of kids. They're going winter camping. I denied. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've had your fair share. Um, I mean, why don't I just Tim Ferriss it and, and ask you, have you ever gone winter camping out of curiosity? Um, I don't sleep on the ground. I have a rule. I think that inventing, inventing the bed was a major, major invention. And ever since I have experimented with sleeping on the ground, I've decided it's not one of the options. But Winter camping in Algonquin Park, if you bring the right kind of heater, it can be really cool. You can uh, cross-country ski your way uh, on the burnt circuit, which usually takes three and a half days by canoe. You can do it in an hour and a half. I have never done it, but it is on my list. Wow. I, I've only, that sounds lovely. I've only ever been to Algonquin to Portage, which has been lovely and quite the experience, about four or five hours away from me. So I don't get out there as often as I'd like. Um, Seth, I love your answer because it, it implies that the act of doing it in and of itself fills you up. That part of the journey is that it's for you as well. Yep. So I don't know if you watch or ever watched Boy Meets World, the television show. Never heard, you ever of, heard of that show? Nope. Okay. Um, it was one of my favorite childhood shows growing up. I'm currently on Disney Plus reliving out my childhood dreams and it's about this guy named Corey. he's a little boy and he grows up through the world he goes through his problems and there's this wise teacher his name is mr feeney and long story short mr feeney talks with Corey's father alan and alan is a grocer alan is upset that he's a grocer he says mr feeney i've settled mr feeney's a teacher he's Corey's teacher and he says feeney don't you ever feel like you're just sick and tired of your career and feeney is in, in his infinite wisdom goes no i don't um, and Alan's like, oh, easy for you to say. You get to change kids' lives every day. And he said something interesting. He said, Alan, it'd be easy for me to say that I do what I do to change kids' lives. And I do. But the truth is I teach because I enjoy it. And when I stop enjoying it, I'll stop teaching. And I thought that that was profound. Um, is there, is it a chicken before the egg scenario for you? Or is it, enjoy it for yourself first and then share it with the world. Um, how do you view that conversation? Well, okay. So the first thing is the chicken came after the egg and we could go into that if you want. It's not, there's I would no, love to, there's no debate about this. I would love to. Okay. Well, here we go. It's super simple. Ready? Yes. The world is millions of years old. There didn't used to be chickens. And then one day there were chickens. Where did the chicken evolve from? It evolved from something that was almost a chicken. And then one day, something that was almost a chicken and an almost a rooster had an offspring that was good enough chicken-wise for us to call it a chicken, right? There's a spectrum. What did that thing we are now willing to call a chicken, what did it come out of? 
It had to come out of a chicken egg. The change does not happen between the egg and the chicken. The change happens once you fertilize the almost a chicken and it lays an egg that is a chicken egg. The egg has to come first. I have no debate. I'm going to put this on the internet and yeah, I bring it on. I got a bounty. $100 if anyone can prove me wrong. No one can prove me wrong. It bothers me that people think that math and evolution are complicated. They're not. They're just like any other craft, something that can be learned. And understanding how evolution works is really important. But I'm ranting. Let me go back to your original question. Uh, I grew up uh, not far from you in Buffalo. And uh, I was raised in a family that had as its first instinct, who can we connect with? Who can we help? Regularly, there'd be 20 or 30 people, uh, new immigrants to the country over for dinner, people we didn't even know. Um, my dad ran the United Way as a volunteer. This is just what it was like. And we get used to what we get used to. So if I had grown up on a horse farm in Tennessee, I think that that was normal. And once you do the thing, and it reminds you of your best self, you do it more. And so I think we have this opportunity to teach other people that culture doesn't exist to create capitalism. Capitalism exists to create culture. And our job is not to make as much money as we can. Our job is to weave together possibility and connection to make things better. That's a very special answer. Thank you. I also think that the chicken rant was warranted. <laughs> we can continue talking about it if you'd like. Um, I'm happy I got to laugh at you there. My Kanye joke fell so flat that I oh, think that, I'm going to... Your Kanye joke wasn't even a joke. It's easy for someone from Canada to joke about this. We're not going to joke about this. I know, I know, I know. I'm, I and, and by the way, just so it's on the record, I complete joke, everybody. I don't have any opinion on American politics other than the fact that it's fun to watch. Um, sort of. Anyways, um, th that is a very beautiful sentiment, which makes me feel in my heart. And, and by the way, I'm going to take a step back here. Um, Seth, I spent a lot of time and I still spend time figuring out how I'm going to make this show different. I have the unique privilege of connecting with people like yourself, and I don't take that lightly. And I think that my perspective as a 25-year-old boy slash man growing up is I'm, I'm really curious. Whereas a lot of the shows that I watch are with more established individuals with careers and it's not that they're any less curious or just at a different stage in their curiosity. So I try to ask questions that my 18 year old self would have wanted to know that my 22 year old self would have wanted to know that being 25, I want to know things that might be useful at 32 um, and hopefully bring people to the table that way. And, and, and be of service um, to help people be themselves, which is what I believe my mission to be. Seth, I'm curious um, about something. And, and, and this for me is a whole ball of wax. If we only talked about this, I would, I would walk away from this conversation happy. Most people that I spoke to before this conversation um, said that around my age, this is what most people struggle with, which is finding their way. And this proceeds for me the practice because the practice is the way and to bring direction to the way feels important. The question is specific though, and here it is. Some people answer this by saying, 
can bind the passions. Some people say you have to choose one and niche down. Some people say don't do anything. The question is, how do you address having multiple passions in life? Well, congratulations. That's great to have multiple passions in life. There's nothing anywhere written down that you can make a living from your passions. And you're not entitled to make a living from your passions. So if your goal is to make a living, first of all, it helps to come to the conclusion that you will be passionate about what you do, not do what you're passionate about. Those are two different things. And it's so much more reliable to just decide to be passionate about what you do. Uh, the Reverend King talked about being the best street sweeper. If you are uh, stuck because of indoctrination and the way the system works with nothing but being a sweet street sweeper, at least you could choose to be passionate about it because then you get to spend your day doing something you're passionate about. Uh, so then we get to this second question, which is given that we live in this moment where you could probably make a living doing more than one thing, which one should you pick? And the answer is you should not pick one that matches what you're passionate about when you're 22 or 24 or 25. You should pick one that matches your ability to sustain it, where resilience is built in, where you can actually create a practice. So, you know, I know plenty of people your age who decided music was their thing. And they studied music when they were in school and they want to be in the music industry. So they end up filing papers at a record label. That's not the music industry. That's the industry industry. And there are other people there who get to make songs, but you're a file clerk. And the question is, can you get from being a file clerk to where you want to go? Is that how people who do what you want to do got there by starting as file clerk? If so, please proceed. But every day we have is precious. What were you invested in? And my thought is to choose to invest it in something that matches the pattern of what you're seeking. So when I got out of business school, lots of choices. I was super fortunate to have lots of choices. I decided the most important thing was to work for a fast growing company because I could make more money at a slow growing company. I could get more prestige from a small growing company, but at a fast growing company, more interesting problems would come my way. The ride would be uh, more turbulent and interesting that I would experience five years of growth in one year at a fast growing company. At a small grow, a slow growing company, I would learn how to go to meetings. And at a fast growing company, I would learn to hold meetings. And so that's how, what I picked. The fact that I ended up at a company that made educational computer games was a bonus, but I was just as, I would have been fine with any company that was breaking records in terms of its growth. From that, I developed certain skills and certain reputations, which made it likely for me to pick the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So I didn't set out to do what I'm doing right now, but the journey has been about what emotional output does this work create? On the other hand, if you have a super high tolerance for risk and you really want to have a lot of money in the bank, go be a wildcatter in Texas, go do something where you're going to fail most of the time and then boom, you'll hit a jackpot. So you've got to pick what matches pattern and the rhythm you want to have in your life, not the specifics of what industry you're looking for. So as a follow-up question, if I may, um, 
And, and I'll pull here, I'll put myself on the hook. I'll pull from a more personal example to give you some meat to chew on um, because I think it's relatable for folks my age. They've taken the work, they've found that they're passionate about a few things, and at the end of that line, the passions seem conflicting. Um, for me, it's inspiration. I would classify what we're doing right now as that side of my life. And then the other side is being funny. The Kanye joke shows how that one's working out. But <laughs> however, um, they seem opposing because I just can't get it straight. People on the interweb are confused about me. What do you do? Do you want to make us laugh? Or do you want to change our lives? My answer is I want to change our lives. I want to create meaningful work. But I love making people laugh. And I've spoken to friends who struggle with the same opposing forces, not comedy and inspiration, but it feels like two passions are pulling them apart versus pulling them together. And I'm constantly at an angst to either choose one and ditch the other, which feels sacrificial and hard. Um, but I've been trying to combine them and it's not working. So curious well, to know your insight. I, so there, there's so many nested things here. First of all, you said, being funny. How do you know if you're being funny? Are you asking me or is it rhetorical? I'm asking you. Um, I laugh. The audience laughs. Two different things. Okay. The audience laughs. So you would be okay as a successful stand-up saying the same jokes every night, even though you're bored with them? I think I would. Yes. Okay. So that's a professional's mindset. The amateur says, no, I have to be on the edge of the thing every time. That's a professional's mindset. Then you say, all right, well, is there an industry available to someone with my resources where I can be fairly compensated and, and have a resilient career doing that? Because I think we can agree that the stand-up comic industry isn't really an industry. It chews people up and the odds are completely stacked against you. Right? Is there any other industry where you could find that feeling that you just described of what it feels like for you to make other people laugh? Yeah. How I've been doing it is largely online content, skits, comedy via. Is that, is that an industry? Yes. So, what, what are the assets that someone who is successful at that? What do they own? Hmm. That's an interesting question. They own their intellectual property. Their way to making people laugh is how I define that intellectual property. Um, and, and they own their audience. So they have a reputation and either their audience is intermediated by someone like YouTube or they've built a permission asset where they could email or somehow uh, contact the people they need to contact to get them to come back. Correct. Right? Yes. And how many true fans do you think they need to make a living? 10,000? Sure, let's call it 10,000, but I think I, I that, mean, between yeah. Patreon and, I, I can't remember her name, that, that Canadian, uh, the woman who, uh, Julie, who did the video. The 1,000 Raven no, Pets? She did the video where she sent a, 
memo to her former self explaining what life is like in 2020. Julie Noki, I think her name is. She's I a star. I saw that. She's fantastic. Okay. And I, my hunch is she makes enough money from her Patreon that she can do this for a while to come, right? Okay. Yeah. So there's a path there. The thing about that path is it's super fraught because your name is on it, meaning you have to live in public as a version of yourself to make it work. And because it's your name, it's hard to shift gears when it's only sort of working, which is what usually happens. Um, and it's not particularly a resilient path. It's one where you're hoping to get picked as opposed to one where you can reliably pick yourself. And it feels to me like the time to take risks is in your 20s when you don't have kids, but it's also the time to develop a portfolio because you'd like to end up with more than nothing if it doesn't work out. So I think a portfolio is totally legit, which is you ought to be able to spend 20 hours a week building something that creates value for other people that doesn't have your name on it, where showing up regularly, connecting people, leading them generates benefits for them and income for you. That takes a lot of pressure off what it means to be funny for a living. And if the pressure comes off, you're more likely to do it well. That's my take. Spectacular take, Seth Godin. Spectacular take. We have two minutes left before we're at the top of the half hour. And I want to respect your time. I know you're on a press circuit right now. Um, that felt like to me, everybody listening, um, when you buy the practice, which you should, I think it's one of your best works personally. It, it felt, by the way, like a follow-up to the war of art. Mm -hmm. To me, to me, it felt like that. On a good day, he's Steve Pressfield's in a totally different league than me, but he's a dear friend and I'm, I'm taking that as the highest compliment. Yeah, it, it, it is that for me. I think it's the modern version, um, the rewrite, the Seth Godin take. Um, and I just have one more question. I'm not sure which one I want to ask you. And then I want to acknowledge you. Can we carve out 30 extra seconds to acknowledge Go you after? It. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you both of these and I'm going to have you choose which one you'd like to answer. What does it mean to trust yourself? You talk about that often in the book. Or what are your spiritual beliefs? I was curious to know those, if you're open to discussing them. To trust yourself is to um, realize you have two voices in your head, the one that talks when you talk to yourself and the one that's listening when you talk to yourself. And the talker is a little bit of a jerk. It's always undermining you. It's always chickening out. It's always... Uh, telling you to fit in. It's reflecting the brainwashing of all those years of school. And the other one, the one that's a little bit of afraid, the one that's seeking reassurance, the one that has something important to contribute, you should let it. It's not guaranteed to work, but it will work better than not. And the original title for the book was Trust Yourself. My editor persuaded me to change it. She was right. Um, but if you go to trustyourself.com, you can see some of my rants about this. In short, we need to make things better. The world is really not in a good place right this minute. 2020 will be delightfully left behind. We're going to make things better because individuals are going to find other individuals, cause connection to happen, and make a contribution. And that's not going to happen if we're waiting for confidence and proof and to get picked. It's going to happen because we trust ourselves enough to lean into the work, even though it might not work.
Seth Godin, ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's put a pin in it there. I'll take a second to acknowledge you and then I'll, I'll let you go. Um, but before I do, when is the, when is the book out? November 3rd. November 3rd. Um, is it, is it available everywhere on audible, et cetera, or it's available everywhere that you can find anything in print for sure. And, gotcha. too. And, yeah. and is there anything else that you'd like the audience to know, uh, before, you know, I write a blog post every day for free. I don't care if someone reads my book or not, but I made a book because I think it's shareable. And I'm hoping that when groups of three or four people read it together, something good will come. I love that. I've written something down to say to you. I cannot say it better than I wrote it last night. It's short, I promise. I said, in one of my favorite books, The Alchemist, there's a concept of the Philosopher's Stone. It said that the Philosopher's Stone has on it the truth to all things. In it, it says that the Philosopher's Stone is so simple that it can be written on the sentence on the palm of one man's hand. And then the boy asked, if it's so simple, why do we have to do all this? And the man replies, because one must walk 10,000 steps and read 10,000 pages just to understand that one sentence. Seth, as far as I'm concerned, you are writing those pages. Um, Thank you. And, and I have yet to be impressed in my life by such a talented writer and author. Thank you for the, taking the time. You are a genius in its flesh. Um, I just, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. Keep leading. It matters. Thanks so right. much. Take care. Bye.